The Apostle Paul talks to those who will listen in this letter that was sent not only to Thessalonica, but was also sent to many other locations as an encyclical, uh, a letter that was intended for a number of congregations. He encourages, he encourages an investment in prayer, a reminder that prayer is more than it might look like at the surface. I remember and enjoy so much the story that I've heard, and perhaps you have too, of the six-year-old who asked his grandfather to take him on a fishing trip. And so his grandfather loaded him up and took him to the cabin in the woods. They walked down to the river's edge and they set out a trot line. Uh, They tied a buoy to the end and it strung those hooks that they had baited out into the river. And then they went back up to the cabin. After an hour's wait, they came back down to check the lines and What do you know, as they were pulling it in, there were fish on the line and the little six-year-old looked at his grandfather and said, I knew it was going to happen. And he said, you knew that it was going to happen. And the little boy said, yeah, I prayed about it. And he shook his head, the granddaddy did, and they pulled the fish in, took them off the line, and then they rebated those hooks and put the line back out again. They went back up and after supper, they came back down to the river's edge and Again, they pulled it in and there were fish on the line. And the little boy said, I knew it was going to happen. And the granddad said, how? And he said, because I prayed again. And they took those fish off the line and set that line back out into the water. And they came back to the cabin. And after they had waited a while and before they had gone to bed, they went back down to check again. And as they were pulling in, there were no fish on the line at all. And the little boy said to his granddad, I knew that was going to happen. And the granddad said, well, how did you know that was going to happen? And the little boy said, because I didn't pray about it. (laughs) And also because I remembered that we didn't bait the hooks. (laughs) (sighs) There, There is a requirement on our behalf to invest ourselves into the attitude of prayer. This instruction that we have received is interesting because usually it is, it is handled in a way that is very similar to what we are doing this morning is reading these two verses, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And it appears that these verses stand independent to the rest of what's going on around it. But this is not the case. Um, if you Listen to these verses that are just before it. You'll realize that these are very much in a specific context. Paul says, but we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charged have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak. Be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. And it is at that point where Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this 
this is the will of, the, of God in Christ Jesus for you. But you pick up on it, don't you, that these are words for the community. We use them so much as just very individualistic words as instruction for us as what we are to do. Uh, this idea of rejoicing always is perhaps easier than the idea of praying without ceasing, but even rejoicing always is not an easy thing to be done. But these words are spoken not so individualistically. All of the, the pronouns around this, all of the verbs relate to a community event, a community instruction here. It is the caretaking of the community that Paul is so concerned about. It's interesting to me that you and I can get this so long, wrong because we make it into another law. We think to ourselves, if we are not praying without ceasing, there must be something wrong with us. We are very inadequate to the task. I have to admit to you that I haven't figured this one out yet as a pastor, and I've been at this work for nearly 40 years now. This is a difficult thing, the idea of keeping God on your mind, even if you are a preacher, it is. Is there anybody else that struggles with this? Would you show me a sign of hand? I mean, this is not an easy thing to do. You and I are fraught with all kinds of distractions. There are things that go on all of the time that would steal our attention, but then also there are encounters that we have that are very, very real in life that seem to rob us of the ability to turn our heart toward God. Paul is concerned about an awareness of the Spirit that is at work within us as individuals, but also within the community. I cannot tell you how many times persons have said to me, at just the right moment, I want you to know that I'm praying for you, and it makes all the difference in the world. Has anyone ever said that to you, and it has bolstered your spirits at just the right time? That is a reminder to us that Paul is casting these words into the community. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing is something that is nigh impossible, except perhaps for that rare individual who lives and loves in God's presence day in and day out. For we who are mere mortals, we are able to depend on the community around us, which sustains prayer and, re and sustains rejoicing, even when we are not ourselves doing so. When is it that you don't feel like praying and what do you do about it? It may be that you're not even conscious of it, which is a dangerous place to be, I suppose. But occasionally it might even occur to you, I just don't feel like praying, I'm not gonna do it. My instruction to you is this, simply say, God, I don't feel like praying. Now that's a trick because that itself is a prayer, of course, that you are praying. But God is able to handle all parts of who we are. Our trouble is in believing in some way that God is only listening to that which can be audibly heard. Our God is listening with all of who he is to all of who we are. I saw someone with a t-shirt on just recently that said, I think it's cute how you think I'm listening. 
That's, that's a terrible thing. I don't know if that was meant for a spouse or what, but it is too true. Have you ever been talking to somebody and then all of a sudden you said to yourself, they have no idea what I'm saying. They have no idea what I'm saying. This is the bane of the existence of many a man that is sitting in this room that you have, have ears that are not opened at the right times. I can only speak this from experience. You and I could be better listeners, but we could be better if we realize that God is listening to us. God is listening. I have no idea what God's metaphysical ear looks like in your mind. But as one who is big-eared, and you may not have noticed that of me before, but I have children that stop and look at me when I walk through Walmart. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you all remember the old, old character, Doug, the little cartoon character, but I have had children point at me and say, Doug, before. But I take great pleasure in seeing now a grandson who has ears like his granddaddy. So there aren't just one in the world, there are two now. Dear Everett, bless his heart. Maybe he will learn not only to be a good listener, which I hope still to be, but will believe even more so that God is listening. God is listening with every bit of who he is to every bit of who we are, to our words, to our thoughts. Jesus' concern was that we would become so disconnected with God that we would offer up empty phrases. Now this is an affront to who God is because those who would stand in the temple or in the sanctuary and pray as if it really doesn't matter what we say that God would hear, but that we would speak so that others would think that we know what we're supposed to say when we pray. That is a dangerous place to be. And Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount specifically said, do not heap up empty phrases. For the reason, because it is not necessary. It is not necessary. God knows what is in our heart. Does that mean that we don't have to say it? No, we say it because it helps us to consciously connect with the idea that God is listening and that God is present in our world and specifically in our community and in our lives. Let prayer, I encourage you, be like the tides which are always present and always moving and that we trust even to shape how our moon moves around the world. And I know that's a strange thought because really it is the moon that shapes the tide. But it is all connected. And if you look at the tides, you can begin to see the beauty of what the moon is about. Let prayer, I encourage you, be the tide of your life. Sharing your emotion honestly with yourself and then sharing it with God as well. Even sharing the wanderings of your heart with God and entrusting that to God. God longs for us to be honest in our thoughts and in our words. And it is important for us to set this as a pattern as much as we are able. 
Those of you who exercise know that a pattern is critically important, developing a habit of exercise. In fact, I have heard some of you speak before of being in such a routine with your exercise that when you get outside of that routine, that you, your life seems completely out of order. There is this longing for order to be in place in order that you would be able to live out what makes you think and feel the right way. It is the same with prayer, to make this habit. But as I have said, this is not meant to be another law for us that we would think that we've got to learn how to rejoice always. And we've got to learn somehow to pray without ceasing. Because this is something that the Spirit does not only within us, but within the community around us, which Paul was most concerned about. The word that we must most be aware of here is give thanks in all circumstances. Psalm 34 is evidence that Paul did not come up with this on his own. He was a very faithful Jew and he knew the scriptures well. And certainly on his mind when he wrote those words of instruction, he was thinking Psalm 34 or one other Psalm like it, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You can imagine that he was simply placing this before the church as something that was too critical to be lost in the midst of the birthing of this new concept of God in the world. I shared with our modern worship, and I have become so brave as to share it with you, a month ago when we were in the midst of Advent and our celebrations, I was aware of particularly one Sunday which in, in which we celebrate the joy, particularly of Mary. And in, in that celebration, uh, we in fact uh, talk about it in our our liturgy and our responses and in the lighting of the Advent wreath on that third Sunday. The, the real name for that Sunday is Gaudete Sunday, which is interesting because that is taken from the Latin. Now, I'm getting very esoteric here on you, but I came to know that not because I learned Latin, but because I fell in love with a rock and roll group that taught me what Gaudete was. Have any of you ever heard of a rock and roll group named Steely Span? Now, this is, this is very, very much on the edge. Now, you'll have to go on YouTube this afternoon, right? And check me on this. Do not make the mistake of looking up Steely Dan. That's a different group. This is an English group that sings a cappella, and they had a couple of songs to their credit. And one of the songs that was more popular in England than it was here in the U.S. was called Gaudete. And it actually is, it is a Christmas carol. But I didn't know that until I investigated what they were singing, an old English tune that goes, and I don't know if I can remember it all well enough to sing it, but I'm gonna make an effort here. It goes like this. Gaudete, Gaudete, Christus desnatus, ex Maria, Gaudete, Gaudete. Okay, that's enough, right? 
right? Caroline is saying, that's enough, that's enough, all right. That, that, is, that is a song that means rejoice always, gaudete. That's what rejoice, that's what gaudete means. Rejoice always and give thanks. Give thanks for Christ is present with us. Now, John Wesley said in his commentary on these verses, in everything give thanks. So he repeats the words of Paul. But he goes on to say, this is Christian perfection. You remember that John Wesley would talk about going on to perfection. And he says in his commentary, he says, this is Christian perfection. That is to give thanks always. In fact, Wesley goes on to say, further than this, we cannot go. So how is it in your life? Are you at that place where in every setting, not because of what you are encountering, but in the midst of whatever you are encountering, that you are able to give thanks to God who is eternally present in this life and in the next. Prayer is like breath. We cannot live without breathing. You know that. Our community and our spirits die when we do not pray. And we will forget to pray. We will. But if there is this sustaining chorus of prayer from the community, there will be this sense in which all of us are praying. And if we skip a beat here or two, the community will sustain us and the Spirit will inspire us to return rejoicing, Gaudete, giving thanks to our God. As we come to this precious table once again, let me remind you that all are welcome at God's invitation.